Hello and welcome to the Advertising Podcast, brought to you by Advertising, the advertising and marketing industry's LGBTQ plus advocacy group. I'm your host, Joanne Oates. On our podcast, you'll hear us talk about industry issues that matter to our community, plus we'll talk to inspiring LGBTQ plus people in the industry about their lives and careers. So let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Joanne Oates, your host. I hope you're well. In today's episode, we're going to be talking to Natasha Beecher. Now, if that name sounds familiar to you, she was a judge on this year's Advertising Awards, which if you're an avid consumer of advertising content, you would have seen a few weeks ago. You can still watch it on our YouTube channel if you'd like to catch up on that. Natasha is an amazing creative force. She's currently working as an associate creative director at healthcare agency Pollen. She's previously worked at Ogilvy Health, where she was involved heavily in WPP Roots. And she's also currently involved in POC, which is a creative collective for people of colour in the creative industries. We talk quite a lot about her coming out when she was growing up in Somerset and not only the challenges of coming out, but also being a person of colour in a predominantly white area. We talk about some of the struggles she's faced when she went to university. So we had a lot of stories to share. I hope you enjoy this podcast as much as I enjoyed talking to Natasha. I think we could have filled another hour up with all the things that she's been involved with one of which of her extracurricular activities is bird watching which we kick off with at the beginning of the interview i hope you enjoy it so uh welcome to the podcast natasha hello hi hi really really happy to be here um i'm i'm natasha i'm tash well you can call me tash actually um my friends call me tash um, and uh I'm, I'm the associate creative director uh, for copy for pollen health which is a health advertising agency um my pronouns are she her hers um and i'm also the creative director for copy and the lgbtq board lead for poc which is kind of a global creative organization working to accelerate equality and equity uh, specifically for black and brown people in our creative industries um, and that's kind of the two the two main things that i that i'm involved with these days but it's not it's not the only thing you're in involved with Tasha because a bit like me you've got a billion things on at once um spilling creative outlets so we're going to get on to some of those um today but first of all we wanted to say thank you for uh being a judge for the advertising awards um which was recently which recently took place virtually sadly but it was very much fun um how did yeah. you find that what was that oh, it was brilliant like? brilliant yeah. it was it was so good I mean I think um, I've, I've kind of judged uh, other other things before. So, for example, um, DNA D, and it's comparable to that, definitely. Which you know, I, I, dare I say, more interesting <laughs> than DNA D. And I'd, I'd hate people saying that. Um, but I think because it's it's you know celebrating and and analysing ads for a community specifically that that I'm part of, I think that just elevates the experience a little bit more. Um, yeah, and, but it makes it a lot tougher as well, I think. So when you've got, you know, the kind of more mainstream um, award shows, you kind of revert to, you know, work mode. But when, when, when it's something that you're actually quite passionate about and it's more personal, you know, you're a little bit more exposed, you're a little bit more vulnerable and therefore it's more what you think. It's, it's 
it's hard to mix that kind of professional viewpoint with your very personal viewpoint but I enjoyed the experience Definitely. Sure. And uh, I think what was really great about um, the session you were in, because um, you can go back and watch them as well, which is, I'll put a link to that in the show notes, but um, is that you really kind of got into the, the nitty gritty of why things worked and why things didn't. And I think that's really important that we have a, a forum for that discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really, really great to watch. So, yeah, there's lots of things that I want to talk to you about. But the first thing that really, really caught my eye when I was looking into all the things you're involved with is bird watching (laughs) flock together sounds amazing tell me more about that I mean do I not look like a bird watcher this is this is what a bird watcher (laughs) looks like (laughs) well educate me educate me I mean like you know what's it what's it about so um I mean I think you've you've hit something there that I didn't bird watching isn't something that I expected to be doing now already in kind of you know my late 30s but um I got involved with it well I've always kind of liked birds like a lot of my uh, tattoos are of birds and um I kind of first was interested in bird watching uh, when I was in primary school so we used to have this little bird watching hutch let's call it in the corner of the, the the playground and that's when I kind of started to learn about all of the different um garden birds and that sort of thing but as an adult i didn't really you know partake in it but my friend Ollie who um is a creative director uh, messaged me and was like oh I'm starting a bird watching group and it's going to be like a black and brown bird watching group which is going to be focused on you know us getting back out into nature and reclaiming the space particularly in you know the time of Covid when our mental health is you know really taking a knocking particularly you know our group of uh, marginalized people community um I'm gonna we're just gonna go and we're gonna get different groups of, of people and we're just gonna go and watch some birds and I've got some binoculars and we're gonna get some binoculars and um uh get some loan to us and if you've got your own binoculars bring your own binoculars and that's kind of where it started so I think our first outing flock together which is a great name I didn't come up with it unfortunately for me um but yeah the first outing was in April it was either March or April it was right at the beginning of you know proper lockdown um and yeah and it's just it's it's a it's a brilliant thing I think uh, we go every month and there's been as many as 60 60 people um wow coming that's along I love a lot oh, wow. which is isn't always so amenable to to actually bird watching but we've because of <laughs> because of all of the different uh, yeah. covid rules we've kind of had to split split into different groups and but yeah the hype has been unbelievable as well because Ollie I mean, it's kind of what he does. He's, he's really good at, you know, getting brands involved in, in the work and the creative work that he does. And so as soon as you tell a couple of people, all of a sudden there's just, you know, we've had coverage on NBC Australia, we've been on the BBC, we've been in, um, been in Vogue, all of these different publications. It's been, it's been a, you know, yeah. Oh wow, I'm 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 just lost to bits for you, but it's just so so exciting to be doing something unexpected like that. I think it's yeah. really, really cool. And I think but, it's because it's about the change in perceptions as well. You know, yeah. it's, it's that's at the cause uh, at the core of what we're trying to do with with the group is change the perceptions, not just of within our own community. You know, showing examples of you know actually just because you've not seen people like us out in in, in the countryside and, and doing this this thing um it's also for other people outside of our community to you know to show them actually there has been a, an, 
been a dearth of, of people like us and maybe been oblivious to that you know so that's been quite have you had much um reaction from the bird watching community as a whole um yeah so we, uh in terms of the group um they've got there's been you know the what they call the bto and the collins bird watching the british or uh, british ornithological society one, one of them all of yeah. these different birding groups have kind of got in touch with us and i think quite a few of them internally have been have seen that this is an issue that they probably should be addressing and um have kind of jumped at the opportunity to engage with with us as a group as well so cool yeah now, it's I a suppose, good hobby <laughs> i suppose we should bring it back to the uh back to advertising eventually but i want to just connect up your you were talking about bird watching is something mm. you did start as a child was that when you you grew up in somerset is that right yeah, that's yeah. right yeah i grew up in somerset um which is over overwhelmingly white so i was not only the only uh gay in the village <laughs> for a while I was also the only black kid in the village until my little brother and sister were born and then then it was all of us <laughs> the only black kids in the village um yeah I mean it's it's not London that's that's for sure yeah and what were your experiences sort of being uh, growing up in that environment I mean in terms of sort of coming out or what role models did you have if any when you were growing up yeah um role models so I had my mum <laughs> and um kind of my nan and my aunts and uncles and they were all up in the Midlands so I didn't really see them very very frequently at all um Diane from Blue Beef Peter she was one of the first kind of black women that I saw on television that was represented in a, in a positive light or a, a neutral light you know uh, which is quite significant and it, it kind of upsets me when I look back now um it's, it upsets me that there wasn't, you know, so many female role models for me to look up to um, in the media and definitely no kind of tomboys. Um, and growing up in Somerset didn't help that either. You know, I had, I had nobody to, to look up to and I think it contributed to, you know, me taking so long to understand who I am and, and the reason why I obsessed over it, I think, for a long time, just always trying to figure out who I am, where do I, where do I belong, and all of that sort of thing. I think, you know, as uh, part of the Rainbow family, we tend to struggle with that enough as it as it is. But then add kind of being black to that, it was just a lot, a lot as a kid. Yeah, yeah. because um, I'm guessing sort of queer role models like there weren't that many around, and then no. you look for people who are who sort of look like you or feel like you it mm. sort of you sort of sometimes have to go outside of where you grow up to find those things yeah. when, when when did you first come out so it was the first time the first person I came out to was in primary school I think I was I was 10 or 11 and it's my best friend and I remember the conversation that I had with her or parts of it and I was kind of like oh Jean you know oh, I've got something I want to talk to you about oh uh, do you know what a lesbian is and I remember the feeling wishing that she that it would resonate with her because I kind of secretly thought she was a lesbian as well but not not because I fancied her but just because I, I needed to have somebody to share that with and I kind of thought maybe that's another thing that connects us as best friends as well so it turned out that she wasn't but yeah but I said to you know I said I do you know what a lesbian is and she was oh yeah I think so yeah and I said oh well I think I, I think I am one sort of thing and she was great about it I think somehow she made it clear that she wasn't one and it wasn't horrible or anything I don't remember but um certainly wasn't horrible so yeah so that was the the first time that I came out and then um 
I think I was probably 13 when I came out to more of my friends and I came out as bisexual to them because I was still wasn't sure and I still had quite a lot of pressure um, to conform to heteronormativity is that the right word and mm. um, from through my parents and through you know uh my Jamaican upbringing I guess you could call it um and so I was always very afraid of uh being cast out which it, which is eventually what happened um yeah so then I came out to my friends again when I was maybe 15 or 16 as, as a lesbian but then I came out to my parents as bisexual because I thought it would soften the blow <laughs> even, though I, even though at that point I was thinking yes I'm, I'm definitely a lesbian um, and they just kind of dismissed it as like oh you don't know what you're talking about you're too young to even know about this stuff and then the final time that I came out to my parents I was in my second year of university and it was so strange it was a really odd kind of creepy moment I was writing a letter to my mum coming out to her and then she never called me she never ever called me but at that moment she she called me and I think it was on a house phone because we had house phones then <laughs> and then she was like oh I just thought I'd call you I can are you all right <laughs> and, then, and, and so then I just said oh I'm actually writing a letter to you I'm writing a letter and she said oh what, what's it about? And then I, I just read out the letter to her and then she was like, hmm. And it had a couple of other things in it as well that I'd kind of been wanting to talk about that just kind of happened um, earlier on in my life as well. But she was just like, oh, right, yeah, okay, hmm, okay. And then we kind of hung up, you know, and then after that point, she just sent me a text message that said, come and get your stuff, we're throwing you out of the house basically and that oh. was a really really tough time yeah I'm so sorry to hear that and yeah. um, how I mean how did you like deal with that I mean were you sort of determined like right that's it mm. fine I know what I'm doing or was it was it hard were there other members of the family involved um it was really difficult because I've got uh, there's quite a big age gap between my little sister and myself and my little brother again so there's you know was it eight years difference and then another seven years difference between them so not being able to speak to them I was kind of banned from speaking to them um, that was the hardest thing and it was actually really tough even though I knew it was coming I'd known from <laughs> being, being a, a child that this was is probably what would happen and yeah I basically had a bit of a breakdown I um, you know had to take time out of university um, I almost didn't finish university because of it, but luckily I had the support of my now wife. Uh, she, we were, um, we just started dating at the time, so it was quite a lot to for, for her to be dealing with, I think. Um, but yeah, but I mean, to kind of bring some positivity, um, I think it ended up my nan said something to my mum at one of my aunts birthday parties and said you know life's too short what are you doing and then and this was maybe four or five years later and then I got a text from my mum to say you know life's too short let's let's speak to each other let's you know you know do you want to come and see us like and I'd always hoped for that um but yeah so we're all good now they yeah. my mum came to my wedding my dad came to my wedding oh that's brilliant yeah, yeah so positive kind of ends positively and it can end positively even though it doesn't for everybody but yeah. And going back to what you're saying about university, I know there's a lot of people back at university now and sort of struggling, mm -hmm. mental health, obviously everything that's happening. Um, did you get, did you feel like you got enough support when you needed to take time out? 
Not really, no, not at all. I think I was able to resit my year, which was kind of the very least that could have been done. Um, but I think it's also difficult to ask for help in the right way for the systems that are there for, mm -hmm. for people. I think nowadays it probably, well, I imagine it's maybe a little bit easier and, and easier for everybody involved to either offer the support or ask for the support for the support um, and I think for me it was difficult because I was in denial that it was that that caused the, the issues that I was having yeah at the time um, but yeah I don't I don't think I did get enough support though even you know we had I was a member I was on the NUS for LGBT so you know I, I knew where all the resources were for yeah. me but yeah, sometimes yeah. it's hard to just, you know, know that you, you need that extra help, particularly mm. when you're, you know, like a strong person and you like to think of yourself like that. You don't always mm. want to kind of ask for that. So that's, um, so you moved, uh, where did you go to uni? Um, I went to uh, the University of Nottingham. Nottingham. And is that mm. where you sort of stayed or did you like move from Nottingham after that? After that, so I, I kind of redid my year. I finished um, the course. Um, I started out doing pharmacy and halfway through I kind of decided that I didn't want to be a pharmacist that wasn't going to satisfy me so then I, I did enough of the modules to end up with um, a degree in pharmaceutical science and it, it means that I didn't do the pre-registration year to be a pharmacist which is kind of you qualifying um, separate to university year sort of thing um, so yeah I spent some time I had so many jobs I used to work in a coffee shop um, this is all while I was studying studying I used to work at the Ritz Smith I was working at Spa at one point and then I was working at a, as a lab technician as well and then that was my last job as I was kind of finishing up my exams and then um, I moved to London it's like kind of straight in there my best friend I was like I want to move to London and um, in fact it was my my then girlfriend now wife who was like you know what you should just you should just move to London and I was like oh but I'll, I'll be without you and like, I'm scared of London it's so big it's not Somerset it's you know I'll just get swallowed up by by the by all of the crime and you know all of these all of these uh these things that you hear being from the country like oh you don't don't go in the city you get get mugged when you go to the city sort of thing um even though Nottingham obviously is a city but um yeah I was I was scared of London but I went there went to London and um went to start working at Thomson Reuters which uh, so I was an air science editor for about four years which was a great job great job yeah and were you were you going out in the uh, gay scene at that point? What what sort of, yeah. e what sort of e era are we talking about? So what what kind of era? This is kind of I don't know. I just remember songs. So the Killers was around a lot. There was like different rooms in different bars, and it was the crossover from when I was kind of go being at um, what's it called like um, NG One in Nottingham, and then going out in London. And there wasn't what I missed about Nottingham that I didn't get in London was the mixture of, of all different kinds of LGBTQ people all mixing in one space. In London, it was very separate. Yeah. And I moved to East London, which was probably as integrated, uh, more integrated then than it is now, but you had, you know, queer nights, you had, what was it? The, was it the Star and Bethnal Green yeah. that do, do like yeah. uh, those kind of nights. And uh, one of my friends who I lived with, she used to run, um, oh, what was the night called? It was kind of like a goth, I can't even remember the name of it. Um, she was DJing there. And yeah, there was a couple of really fun, fun nights uh, 
and that's when I kind of got to see members of our community who were actually more driven because I don't know being at university there's a lot people are it well it felt like there was a lot more people experimenting and not really sure of themselves whereas in London everyone was kind of a bit more like yes I know who I am this is these are my people this is where we're going this is what we stand for and that was so refreshing to 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 be amongst my people like that you know and would you say that um because that's certainly my it's certainly my experience that I think the time that you're talking about there was a lot mm. more sort of female spaces around yes in terms of bars and nights and things and that's just that just feels like that's all gone that's yeah just all gone and I and then yes great it is a bit more sort of mixed now and there's more sort of queer spaces but I do remember sort of the time you're talking about like just being mm. like oh yeah there's this night on the and this night yeah. on this day and you got and you knew where you're gonna see people and all this sort of thing and I, I feel that's a bit of a shame that that's all kind of gone yeah I think was it the cafe that was called uh was it first out cafe first that out used to was be, like yeah at my, oh, it's like where I where I met most of my you know queer friends when I first moved to London so yeah it's a real shame that those spaces aren't there anymore mm, um mm. yeah Goog, Goog, the Google development and Tottenham Court Road kind of got rid of that yeah oh was oh, it pop stars was that a, stars. that was a club wasn't it yeah yeah, yeah. that's not amazing yeah <laughs> but um yeah but you know things things sort of change so let's talk a bit mm. more about your sort of career moving from Reuters into mm. of um sort of well sort of creative advertising mm. um how did you make that transition mm, funny story that so when, uh, when I was working at Hang Garden um I'm very chatty I chat to people um, we used to share a um reception area with uh, Grey Grey London so I'd kind of be chatting to people oh what do you do oh I work in the financy bit of this company and they're all right uh, I spoke to another guy and he was like, oh, no, I'm, I work for in advertising. You know, there's health advertising, you know. And I was like, what? I, didn't, I had no idea because it had always been my plan to kind of be a pharmacist by day, but by night be like this, like, creative person. And like so... A superhero. Yeah, exactly, yeah. like a superhero. <laughs> yeah. By day. Pharma Flash with a pH. <laughs> that was genuinely my superhero Amazing. for a while. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and so he got it into my head that I could actually combine a lot of what I thought was impossible. So making ads or, or being creative generally with my background in science. And so from then on, I set about, you know, making a portfolio, which at that point, I didn't even know that was a thing that you needed. I didn't even know that there was ad schools that you could get into. Um, but I um, set about taking different side jobs and different day jobs as well that would eventually allow me to have a full, full enough portfolio to demonstrate that I could write to demonstrate my creative thinking and that took maybe another six seven years something like that so I went and I was doing um I went and did a radio program for for, for a time so I moved back up to Nottingham uh, got a transfer with with the job that I was doing moved to Nottingham and basically started getting my fingers in lots of different pies so I started working for the um LGBT switchboard in Nottingham um, and I was doing this radio program called Friday Night Out, which was uh, uh, I produced and, and presented with my co-presenter. I started um, volunteering a lot more. So I took on with my co-presenter of the radio program. I took on uh, the chairship of Nottinghamshire Pride and kind of basically used all of these different opportunities to, to have fun and 
experience life, but also just get some experience in all of these different areas. So making posters and I started a fashion blog about cycling because I was quite into cycling at the time. So it's called Tash on Trend, how to how to cycle and be in style, which <laughs> didn't it. go anywhere. I mean, I had I had three three issues of it, but yeah, it was fine. yeah it was was a small thing um yeah so I started doing all this stuff and then eventually um I took a job in PR and I was kind of the the global PR um director for a small laser scanning company and they treated me really really badly so then I left that organization after six months and at that point I was ready I thought I've got enough I've kind of taken on some side projects I've made some side steps into different industries that are going to help me and I took my first job in in um in advertising in health advertising and um because i've just quit that job i was able to start the next week and that that was it so and i think you make you make a really good important point because i've i've had a pretty um a sort of eclectic career as well um and dabbled in different things you know radio broadcasting journalism was also an account handler at one point oh wow i know i know um (laughs) but um and then then move back into creative and and I think that when you sometimes you're talking to people about jobs and they look at your CV not your CV just one CV Mm -hmm. it's a bit like oh so you've done all these things are you sure you know what you you know you want to do but I think you 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 said it there it's like you've got you have all these experience and they're Mm -hmm. so valuable they're so valuable and so transferable so I think it's a really positive thing that uh, to have done all these things I think it makes you a better creative personally I think you know, in order to really get into the skin of of different kinds of people and to be able to put yourself in their shoes, you have to have lived enough different kinds of life and to, to have been involved with, with all of these different communities in a very genuine and authentic way in order to then, you know, create the ideas and create the words and create the narratives that, you know, um, in collaboration, oftentimes with with the communities that you're not part of, but you need you need to have lived it enough in order for yeah. it to be genuine. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's why I say to you know, for mentoring anyone, like you know, mm. it doesn't matter like that you've done other stuff before, and it doesn't matter how old you are when you come in. It's just mm. it's, it's all the stuff you've done before is valuable. Yeah. So that's cool. So yeah. So you your first job was it Gray? Is that right? No, my first, first job was at uh, DDB Remedy. DDB Remedy, and then mm-hmm. you you moved into working at Ogilvy. Um, yeah yeah so tell tell me more about that because that's where I think you got you got involved with uh, WPP Roots yes that's right so yeah so one of the as I've kind of moved through different roles and and been not discriminated against in a very direct way but I've noticed the 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 lack of opportunities for certain kinds of people um one of the first things that I ask or inquire about when I'm starting a new job or indeed before I even get to, you know, accepting or wanting to be there is, you know, what, what resources, what opportunities, what groups are available to um, marginalised groups, uh, marginalised communities. And when I joined Ogilvy, um, I asked that same question and just pretty much, you know, the same quarter that I joined, um, Roots had had been initiated. Now Roots was um, an organisation, almost like an employee-led organisation, grassroots that um, aimed to champion better representation and cultural uh, representation um, of people in, you know, 
across the kind of WPP network. And so because I'd had my experience in Pride and because I've kind of always been part of these kinds of groups because I can't help myself, I just want to make changes within systems. Um, I kind of offered myself up to, you know, to help out and to, to help to lead the group basically. And so that was, that was a really important time, I think as well, because this was not that long ago, maybe three years ago, how long was I there? Yeah, three years ago, um, maybe four years ago. Um, yeah, so I got involved and there was, it was just a really exciting time to, for change. And it was incredible to be part of, of helping to drive that within such a kind of um, big organization and inf influential organization, yeah. Yeah, and do you think, do you think, um, what sort of changes did you start to see being made on the day-to-day sort of -day level? I think it was just the visibility of, of being able to see black and brown people within a really, really white organization able to be themselves and, you know, meeting up and you could visibly see that, oh yeah, I saw that, that poster that you guys put up about um, an event that was happening and, and just the conversations that were happening, it just felt very pivotal, you know, and that was the first change and I don't think that that should be you know, underappreciated, just just seeing and being around and feeling like you can, um, you know, you've given yourself permission really to, to be vocal about these things. Yeah. And one of the things that um, I helped to to change, I, used, I set up these workshops and it was it was a group, it was the, the group, you know, we, we, we created those, but I've led these workshops, which were almost safe spaces for people to be able to ask questions and, and for non-black and brown people basically to, to kind of come in and, you know, not ask questions that you've always wanted to ask, but just feel like you're not being judged or you're not being going to be called a bigot for not understanding something. It was just an open space for people to, to talk about race because it's really uncomfortable for a lot of people for a lot of reasons, you know. So that was, that was one of the things that, that we started as well. And one of the other things was um, uh, we did a campaign for World Afro Day in 2018. Yeah, I saw that. It looked really great. Tell yeah. me more about that. So that was um, the, the founder of World Afro Day approached um, one of the team in Roots and said, you know, I want to um, promote this. This And World Afro Day is about celebrating um, wearing an Afro, wearing your natural hair as a black person or, you know, a brown person or whoever. There's lots of kind of different ethnicities that have Afros, but primarily black people are the ones that tend to be discriminated against by uh, for wearing their hair naturally and so yeah this was a um a day where uh it was to, to be celebrated so they approached us and we did a campaign for them which was um I think initially it was called Afro Stats but it was I don't know if you saw it, it was kind of up and down the country and it was these giant posters with um, Afro hairstyle differently to to kind of show different percentages of the numbers of people who have been discriminated for wearing their hair in the workplace or it was like I think one of them was 71% of women um, who wear their Afro feel like it's um, feel like they're discriminated against because it's not professional not seen as professional and it was these really kind of insightful interesting facts about Afros that make people kind of go whoa I didn't didn't realize that this was an actual thing so yeah, so that was seeing that up, you know, in, in a Westfield in Strat Stratford, it was incredible, you know, yeah. really meaningful. And this wasn't even, 
you know, my day job, this was, this was a, again, a side project really. Um, yeah, so that was, that was amazing to have been part of that and to have, you know, it was all around the globe. We had creatives from Ogilvy, Argentina, Ogilvy, Singapore kind of putting ideas forward. And we had so many to choose from to, to select in the end. So yeah, that was just incredible. Amazing. And um, in terms of like the healthcare side of things, is, mm. is, there, is there more work to be done in terms of raising profile of black and brown people in the healthcare advertising space? Yeah, absolutely. There is, I mean, it's quite rare anyway to have um, such visible, well, I, I don't know, the healthcare industry I think is an underrated industry within advertising. People tend to forget that it's even there. And so that in itself is quite, okay, healthcare advertising, but then to see black and brown people in leadership positions in the health advertising industry. I mean, this is the first time ever that I've worked with another black person in all my years as, as, uh, as a creative. And he's now, he's my creative partner, yeah. Gus. And that's just, it's brought something, working with Gus, is not like working with any other creative partner that I've worked with in the past. We get each other in the way we, that, I, that other creatives that I've worked with, we aren't gonna get. And it's really difficult to describe. Yeah, but there's a, there's a resonance there between us. That's yeah. quite powerful, I think. But yeah, I think that there's a lot of work to be done to, to raise the profile of, of um, more senior black leaders, I guess, as well as, you know, um, newer senior black leaders as myself. Yeah. And also in terms of representation as well, like mm -hmm. sort of when you when we're creating the advertising, you know, just like we, we were talking about the advertising awards, you know, visibility yeah. and representation and just having different, you know, stories being told. It's not just like the, the stereotype that we go for. It's important that we see ourselves in these in these campaigns. So that's mm. another way we can do it. And I think that's a really important thing to think about. So mm. tell me about. So WPP Roots was was going. Was was um, POCC like formed around the same time, or was that around? Back of it? Yeah, it came after. So POC came, um, I think, a couple of years after. And obviously, there's you know, it's not just WPP that has an organisation like Roots. There's all of these other yeah. um, kind of employee-led uh, grassroots organisations within all the big networks and we were all kind of talking to each other and you know sharing stories and tips and how to kind of navigate all of our workplaces and it just it literally grew from there so it was like a few people who were like right we need to do something about this and um the the co the two founders of of POC who's uh, uh Nana um Nana Bemper and Kevin Morosky um they I think the story for them specifically was they were, they'd watched uh, Black Panther and they said, we need to make a Wakanda in, in advertising. Um, yeah. I, hope, I hope they don't mind me saying that story. But um, yeah, so then they were already in this WhatsApp group and I think I was like the 10th person to, to be added to this WhatsApp group. And it kind of grew from, you know, the, the few people to hundreds of people in this WhatsApp group. So, so many, so that there's a waiting list now to join, to join the WhatsApp group because uh, WhatsApp has a, a limit on the, the number of people that you can have in, in the group. But yeah, it just grew from there. And now we've, you know, got campaigns going on. We're, we're, we've had, you know, we did a thing for, um, for climate change, like a video. There's, there's just, 
bare, bare talent in this group. Like, it's unbelievable, yeah. And for those who don't know about it, how can they work with Park? How can they kind of support it? So that's how it works. So it works. So you go to the website, which is wearepock.com. So it's P-O-C-C. Um, and you can find all the information on there that you that you need to find. Um, and there's, you know, there's a, a show of the different kinds of work that we've done. We're currently working on um, improving the website as well so that it's kind of more obvious what we do, what our, what our mission, mission statement is, that sort of thing. And the, our latest campaign, which we started roughly a year ago, which is the Making Britain Great Since campaign, uh, which is highlighting um, the different, different profiles almost of, uh, of key people, key black and brown people and how they've got to where they are today and kind of uh, explaining how their contribution to British society makes British society, you know, yeah. um, through, through the generations that came before them as well. So we're, we're about to launch the second part of that that campaign next month because oh, it's not a black history month project it's a beyond yeah. black history month project so you know yeah yeah exactly it's, it's interesting so obviously we were talking a little bit about black history month um at the beginning of this and i think mm. that i'm i'm really of, of the mind that you know it's it's all history and it should be part of british history it shouldn't mm. be something about although we should there's an opportunity here to celebrate that's always a great yeah, thing yeah um, and in terms of sort of educating about black history in schools, did you mm. did you get any, um, sorry to just dip back to your education, no. did you get any kind of education about um, black history when you were growing up? Not from school. No. Definitely not from school. I, uh, my mum my was, and my, and my dad were really adamant and, and kind of forthright in, in telling me pieces of information that they knew and they didn't know all the information you know um but we used to have i remember we had these posters of of um of key black people throughout history and i can't remember i think we only had about six of them and they were laminated posters i remember and they were part of a series of of yeah key black people like mary seacole was was one of them for example um and it just gave a bit of a history about you know what they did when they lived um who they were their story and I think just simple things like that could be, even if it was just that, that went out in schools, that would make a huge difference. And I know that people like um, organizations like the, the National Trust and kind of a lot of these organizations that I definitely think of as, you know, old white institutions are starting to, thank God, starting to acknowledge some of the previously unacknowledged you know, history of not just slavery, but just the the celebration of, of black people that, is, mm. that have been part of our British history. Because, you know, if, if you'd, you'd be forgiven for thinking that there wasn't any, that there were no black people in any of, you know, before 1950 in Britain, but there yeah. were, there's, you know, there's stories that they've kind of been hidden um, intentionally or, or not from us. So it's time, it's time to start educating everybody about more of our histories. Yeah, and it's also that thing about, you know, having positive role models. If you can't mm. see it, you can't aspire to be, like, a person of, you know, sort of, you know, a person of power or a person of or creativity or whatever it is you want to do. Yeah, you exactly. You need to see those people and know their stories and their struggles and how they got there. So it sounds like a really cool thing. I mean, do you think that 
um, obviously a lot's happened this year um, in terms of um, you know racism being part of the conversation and the uh, the pandemic. Do you think the the penny's starting to drop with some people now that sort of it's all very well talking about it, but we actually need to bloody well do something about it? I think so. I think um, what's been interesting to see because I'm I really struggled with the kind of um, earlier this year, you know, the, the George, uh, George Lloyd uh, and Breonna Taylor, all, all of that, it kind of, and I spoke about it at the time as well, kind of, it, it just floored me. I kind of had to take, take some time to just not do anything because I've been working towards trying to get people to do something about it for so long that I'm just tired. And so, of course, yeah. But what was interesting is that it feels like other people and particularly white allies have started to, the penny has started to drop and, and they've started to almost pick, pick up the, the baton to, in a lot of respects. And, and there's a lot of conversations that are being had without black people in the room. And, and part of that is really good because it's, you know, finally, it's not just our responsibility anymore to, to initiate these conversations. But I do think that they need to continue in collaboration as well. And, and I think it's difficult for someone like, like me who has had to kind of just pause a little bit um, having to reestablish how I do what I would normally do, if, if that makes sense. I'm just, yeah. I'm just trying to figure out how I'm part of the conversation and how and what what my message actually is now in these changing times mm. and so yeah that. but it's yeah, yeah it's been, but it's been I think in answer to your question yes I think the penny is is dropping but we cannot lose the momentum like yeah. at all so but, but also we have to appreciate that you know we're asking a lot of people mm. you know when one thing Chris Kenner brought up when I spoke to him a few months ago was the fact that you know he's just so tired like you said yeah he's tired and it's it's not your responsibility it's everybody's responsibility yeah. to make this change happen so um I do appreciate you sharing that though that I, yeah I, you know I really and like it's it. it's hard it's hard yeah. work I think the thing is yeah. I think that the pen, part of the the realization for a lot of uh white allies in particular and and even the people who aren't allies yet but are kind of starting to try and make changes is that it's bloody hard work it's it's so exhausting yeah and and I think that's probably going to put a lot of people off because they kind of maybe thought it was just going to be something that they could just like do and <laughs> just be like easy to just yeah. get on and do but actually yeah. it takes so much from you no matter who you are it takes a lot yeah it's a commitment I mean it's yeah. you know, like a, you know all like diversity inclusion is a, mm. is a is something you've got to work at yeah you know, that's why um, it's some people's jobs <laughs> people exactly. get paid to do it people should be getting paid it shouldn't be yeah you know, just an add-on because you're black or an add-on because you're brown like actually it needs to be it always needs to be someone's paid for job to do that and yeah that's something I also feel quite strongly about yeah it's important yeah very important so yeah, I was going to bring on things like you know, there's clearly a lot of work to do because when Argos ran the ad in August, which mm. featured a black same-sex couple and their children, mm. you know, the, the the sort of backlash to that was just so shocking, considering like the conversations that have been going on this year, and just shows how much more work we, there is to do. So um, you know, I think that's it's positive that 
Argos, like a brand like that, is is doing something like that. Mm. I mean, I think you know, going back to the advertising awards, you know, that brands brands are starting to get it. I think mm. that you know, if they start to show more diverse, um, you know, characters and and you know, it's it's not it's not just those that group who are going to be feel included it's a wider group of people who recognize like oh they're switched on mm. that's the brand that I want to uh want to you know put my money with so yeah I do think it's starting to change um so tell us about pollen um what are you what are you working on at the moment are you uh, anything working on a lot, a lot of things I always uh, it's, it's difficult in healthcare because so much of what we do has to be for for the eyes of healthcare professionals yeah. only so I, I can't no, I always talk about that. it you know I fully appreciate that and, and you know I'm sure like you I've got lots of lovely work I've done for healthcare agencies that I would mm. never be able to show it <laughs> yeah yeah um, but broadly I've been working on a lot of um hepatitis uh hepatitis projects um I've been I've got a 100% pitch win record so far since I've joined here. So Congratulations. That's, that's, which is awesome. But now that I've Amazing. said that, I'm, gonna, I'm waiting to hear back from, from one. But um, yeah, so that's, it's, it's, been, it's been great so far, definitely. Um, I've been here, here for seven months, I think now, pretty much the lockdown period. That's, that's what this job has been for me. This has been yeah. my lockdown, lockdown job. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a great, great place to work. And we've got so many... Um, passionate creatives here who you know you have to be super super smart to work in in healthcare advertising because you know there's there's a lot of red tape there's a lot of uh of things that have to be done a particular way um and so I don't know there's a lot of constraints constraints that you need to be very creative to make sure that you can still achieve decent creative work with yeah so yeah and, and also like I think um I, I'm a big fan of healthcare stuff and freelance quite a few agencies and what yeah. I love about it is like you say the people who work there are super smart because they have to know all this medical stuff they have to know all this sort of like, the real sort of minutiae sort of get the stuff I really geek off on so you know but it makes sort of so many good creative challenges I think and I'm, mm. I'm, I'm a big advocate for it so yeah I I'm, I'm think healthcare gets a bad rap and I think a lot of people think it's all going to be like pharma leaflets and and just sort of boring stuff. But there's mm. some amazing work going on. Um, in yeah, space. definitely. So, we do a lot of animation. We do yeah. a lot of um, kind of launch videos, that sort of thing. So uh, I won't say who we cast because I feel like I can't. But we cast like a really high profile um, actress to, to do or actor to do um, to do a voiceover for us. And it's. Yeah, she's very recognisable. So that was that was a really exciting thing um, for me last week. So yeah. So um, just coming back to your other sort of creative outlets. Mm -hmm. So you, you worked, uh, you were took part in Pastor Mick with Kin and Carter, and um, I read something uh, about you being an avid poet back in the day. <laughs> so tell me what about what you used to write about. Everything I used to. It was almost my. Um, my diary it was like a diarized creative outlet so I used to write about um when I was a teenager I used to write about girls I used to write about like skateboarding and I'd always be trying to not rhyme as well because and yeah I wrote, I wrote a few 
poetry competitions when I was a teenager as well, which was, it's always nice to win things. Um, but most of the time I'd write songs. So I'd, I'd let, taught myself to play the guitar. And one of my favorite songs that I've written is the, is the dumbest song ever, but it's about pigeons, basically about next door who had a pigeon. And I performed this at the, uh, at the what's it called? The Hard Rock Cafe in Nottingham. I had like, I did a little open mic set there when people were eating their dinners and not really wanting to listen to open, an open mic night. Amazing. Um, but yeah, so just about anything, like just the, you know, the, the everyday things. Um, yeah, I did a, I wrote a song about um, the expensive house prices in Nottingham and how if you want to live in West Bridgeford, you need a, quite a lot of money, which is an area area of Nottingham that's kind of very affluent. Um, yeah, just anything and everything, but most, mostly just, yeah, the everyday stuff. The almost social realism is my thing, so, yeah. yeah. Do you go back to Nottingham at all? Do you have, do you have any friends um, there? Yeah, we've got, so the second time around, because I, I moved to, I was in Nottingham for university, moved to London, moved back up to Nottingham, um for four years uh while my wife was doing her phd and then moved to oxford and then moved to london but in the second time i moved to nottingham um i kind of made some lifelong friends so we just shall we say so they they yes. still live up there um and yeah we see them we've got a room in their house <laughs> but it's not it's not our room but it's kind of it's kind of our room <laughs> so um yeah, so there's one thing I always like to ask people, particularly mm -hmm. when we've gone round their lives and, and back again, is that what would you say to your 18-year-old self? Oof, I would say keep doing what you're doing because being genuine is probably, and authentic is probably your, your the, the strongest um attribute that you have so so use that as your compass know who you are and you'll be fine and so if your 18 year old self wanted to get into the industry that you work in now what would you mm. tell them to do oh I'd say uh, don't settle like continue to not settle for mediocrity because you know the fact that you don't settle for mediocrity means that you'll go far and no matter how much you know people don't want you to do well as long as you want to um push boundaries and make things better that will get you very far that's a fantastic place to end it i think um natasha so so exciting i'm sure we could have talked loads more about lots <laughs> yeah, more of the things definitely touched on. i'm sure we'll have to do a part two um but i really really appreciate you taking the time it's been great thanks very much no problem at all it's been a pleasure like, i really genuinely have... enjoyed it. i could as you say i could keep talking for hours <laughs> yeah, you need to go for a for a pint oh for soon sure. one day soon <laughs> one day <laughs> anyway have a great evening thanks very much You've been listening to The Advertising Podcast, hosted by Joanne Oates. Producer editor was Rosie Ann Boxall. And podcast assistants were Olivia Hilton Pennant and Declan Purcell. To find out more about what we do at Advertising, visit advertising.org. If you want to get in touch with us about any of the issues you've heard today or have any questions or anything you'd like to share, please email us at info at advertising.org or search Advertising on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Thanks for listening and see you next time.